listening to this week's message from Freedom Church. For more info on Freedom, visit freedomdl.com. Thanks for listening. We are starting a series in February called Church Hurt. And I'm really excited about this series because um, raise your hand right now if you either have been hurt by the church or you know somebody that has been hurt by the church. Okay, that's pretty much everybody. All right, so let me just say this from the jump. It's incredibly unreasonable to join any organization and expect you're not going to get the opportunity for hurt. Okay? If you want to, if you want any idea about that, like look at your own family, right? Your family, they're supposed to love you unconditionally. Them jokers hurt you all the time, don't they? Um, I mean, imagine your little brother or sister growing up. How many times you get punched by a sibling? You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, yeah, a lot. Still getting punched by a sibling. Edgar and Noe, we got to separate y'all. Glad Emily's in between y'all, separate y'all. But um, but here, here's the thing, though, is, is while we can have an expectation, I mean, Jesus said offenses will come, not, oh, I don't know if they're going to come or not. No, he said they will come. And you have the opportunity to be offended. But there are a lot of churches and a lot of pastors and a lot of leaders out there who are flat-out abusive. Okay? That's just how it is. All right? It's not right, but it's a reality. And so what we are trying to do with this church church series is we are trying to first week address the fact that there are issues within the church that need to be corrected. We're going to acknowledge the fact that there is hurt going on and we're going to work through that. The second week, we're going to go through a process of forgiveness. We're going to, we're going to actually take you through a process of forgiving those people that may have hurt you. Um, asking for forgiveness for the fact that you very well may have hurt somebody else. But we're going to walk through that process. And here's the main reason. It's because the Bible says if you don't forgive, God can't forgive you. And I want you walking in forgiveness so that you can experience everything God has for you. Church hurt is something that Satan designed to keep you locked in a place where you're not getting the experience with the body of Christ that God wants you to have. He created the church for a reason. So the week on, on the third week, we're going to talk about things that we can do to avoid church hurt. And on week four, we're going to talk about who the church is supposed to be. Come on, man. We're going to talk about how we're supposed to be living as a church. Now, here's why I'm telling you all of this. Because there are people in your spheres of influence who have made the comment before, I'll never go back to church because of what they did to me. Here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to make a deal with those people. I'm asking you to make a deal with people in your sphere and say, give me just four Sundays. Give me four Sundays. Come to church with me just four Sundays. I won't bother you again. My goodness, I'll even take you out to ponchos or to somewhere to eat afterwards. I'll, I'll bribe you with Mexican food. Come on, somebody. But, but make sure you make that deal with them and you get them here. Because I genuinely believe God wants to do something with this series to help heal wounds and to bridge gaps that have been created because of church hurt. Amen? Make that deal, okay? Talk to those people. Hey, just give me four weeks, and I won't bother you about church ever again. Just four weeks. Amen? It's going to start in February. All right? Awesome. Well, I'm, I'm excited about today. You know, we're in this series called Re. It's all about, you know, reconnecting, reapplying, you know, repositioning. Um, and the last week of this month, we're going to have a panel. I'm really excited about that. And so if you have any questions about marriage, about parenting, about finances, or anything else, be sure to submit those to the church. Like you can either use a connect card, you can do it online, you can send us a Facebook message, but send us a question and we won't read out who said like, all right, well, Monique asks, can I spank my children? Like, you know, uh, I know the answer to that question, by the way. (laughs) Emphatic yes. Um, (laughs) um, Anyway, how many times a day can I spank my children? Maybe more appropriate. No, but... um, 
but send those questions in because uh, we want to be able to uh, uh, to have a really good conversation today. That's gonna be family Sunday, so we're gonna have little kids in and all that kind of stuff. So. Anyway, all right. Are y'all excited about this? Yeah. Pastor Tony is going to bring a message to us today. I'm really excited, so why don't y'all give him a hand? Come on, man. Well, good morning, everybody. Um, thank you for being here and worshiping with us this morning. Uh, I am super excited about um, this message today uh, because it's all practical. Like th- This is all about giving you some practical advice on how to, how to apply the ways of God in the ways of the scripture. So I'm going to, just to give you a breakdown, I'm going to give you about 10 to 15% theory, and then we're going to get really into practical steps you can take, okay? Um, and so today, if you're taking notes or you're following along in the Version Bible app, um, today's message is called Reapply, all right? And because it's, it's really about this time of year that we take time to evaluate habits, put some new habits in, or go back to old habits that we got out of doing, you know, good, healthy habits. And uh, like, for example, it's January 15th, and I, at the beginning of this year, I made, you know, like I've been really thinking about my health, and I have a a baby on the way, my third kid, and I'm like, man, I got to get healthy, right? Like, I'm really, like, I have a countdown on my phone. I'm 203 days out from when baby is supposed to be here. And um, I still have not started getting healthy. And so it just goes to show that despite all the circumstances and outside influence, doesn't matter what those things are. It takes an internal determination to actually walk the things out. And that's what we're going to talk about today is is, uh, evaluating that internal determination. Right. And so uh, we're 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 specifically going to be focusing on spiritual disciplines that I believe um, affect everything in your life. And so I'm about to list out some spiritual disciplines and then I'm going to hone in on the three that I believe will affect you the most. And so uh, what are these spiritual disciplines? Well, it's pretty simple. Scripture reading, memorizing and reflecting, Uh, prayer, worship, fasting, service, solitude, discernment, and evangelism. These are the spiritual disciplines that, that you know, we believe that you should be practicing and walking out. And you might go through that list and be like, golly, I'm like one of however many there are there, right? And that's okay. That's okay. That's what the purpose of, of this message in this series is about, is addressing the things in us that we could be doing more of, we could be experiencing more of God, right? But all of these things work together. Scripture reading helps us understand the truth of God's kingdom and where we're misaligned. Prayer helps us focus in on God to be realigned. Worship helps us understand the majesty of God and his phenomenal power. Fasting is a physical discipline to help us spiritually focus, and in the time, uh, in that time, the word of God becomes our source of sustenance. We see that throughout the scriptures as Jesus fasted. He said, you know, he's, he's like, I do, I do not eat, uh, you know, bread alone. Like, I, I get my, the, part of my sustenance is the scripture, the truth of God. And when you're at a place where you're so hungry that you're like, man, it's just truth is sustaining me. Like, you're at a place where God is really working and moving in you. And that's why fasting is such an important discipline because a lot of times when we're fasting, we don't have anywhere else to go but to, but to be dependent upon the Lord. Like, that's the focus right? And so uh, from there, we get to a place where uh, 
service. The next discipline is service. And service is so important because all of these things, prayer, scripture reading, worship, fasting, discernment, solitude, evangelism, they all lead to a point of service because God has called us to be his ambassadors and serve people. He's called us to be his hands and his feet on the earth. And so if you're at a place where you're saying, God, I feel like there's something more and you're not serving, the more is service. Your next step is to get to a place where you're serving. We have opportunities and places that you can serve in. And if it's not a fit, that's okay. We'll find a different place that is a fit for you. But sometimes you just have to get your feet wet and figure out, oh, hey, coffee isn't for me. Okay, well, let's try you over here and let's try you over, right? But service is important. Your service to the Lord is very important. And then from there we go into, um, okay, sorry. Finding my notes. There we are. Okay, and so now we go into solitude because solitude helps us break the chaotic nature of life and focus on him. About every four to six months, I get to a place where I'm, I'm like, you know, my introvert and extrovert personality meets, and I'm like, I need to be away from everyone for like three days, including my wife and kids. I'm like, I go somewhere, go on a trip, I'll give you, do whatever you need to do, but I need to be by myself. And in that time, I'm focusing on the scriptures, I'm praying, I'm resting, I'm recuperating, because I am the type of person where I put out a lot, wherever I'm at, I'm, I'm putting out energy, I'm help, like, my focus is to help develop people, and so because of that, I'm constantly outputting, and I just get to a place where I need some solitude and, and some time to focus on him. Jesus did this, he was ministering to people, and he's like, you guys stay here, I'm going to go up into the mountain and pray. He got to a place where he just needed some solitude. And so maybe sometimes you're overwhelmed and you're tired and you're anxious. Man, take a two-day vacation and go sit in a hotel room by yourself somewhere. Go get in the beauty and majesty that is nature. We're six hours away from one of the, the, the best wildlife refuges I've ever been to, and that's in Oklahoma. We're six hours away, and you can go and hike and camp for $24 for two days. Right? Like, and you can be in the, the, the beauty and majesty that is God's kingdom. So solitude sometimes, discernment. Discernment helps you realize when you're walking out of God's will, where this situation looks good and it's wrapped up real pretty for you. You're getting double the salary. You like your boss. You like who you're going to be working with, but there's something about it that's not right. You can't put your finger on it, and then six months later after you say no, you find out that the company goes under. You never know what God is telling you no for to save you. But that discernment is super, super important. But you don't know what discernment looks like and feels like unless you're using the wisdoms of the scripture. You see how these are all layered on each other to help you focus in and hear God's voice and see his direction and build his kingdom. And then finally, evangelism. We're supposed to go into all the world and make disciples of many. That's evangelism. And it doesn't have to be you standing on the street corner with a, with a Bible and a sign that says turn or burn. Like, that, like you don't have to yell at people. You don't, have to, you, don't, you don't have to be mean and thump them on the head and be like, you sinner. Like, you don't have to do that. It can be as simple as building a relationship with a coworker. You see that they're distressed. You see that something's going on in, in their life and say, hey, I don't know if you believe in the power of prayer or not, but I do. Is there anything I can pray, for, pray about with you? Is there, is there anything that I can help you with? What's going on in life? Let me just be somebody you can talk to. 
And then when they know stuff is going awry in your life and stuff is really hitting the fan and you're not freaking out, they're going to be like, how is that possible? How can you not freak out? And you're going to be like, well, there's this man by the name of Jesus. But all of these things go together, but they take practice. They take time. You've got to develop that muscle in you. But in order to do that, we have to focus on it. See, because all these things work together to be a layered approach to our walk with God, because all of the, these disciplines are important to your life and how you represent God, right? When we become a Christ follower, we instantaneously become a representation of him on this earth. And so we have to make sure that we are representing him well, right? Um, one of the things that my mom used to say to me whenever we'd go out in public uh, is you better watch your attitude and you better watch how you act because I don't want you to embarrass me, right? Right, you better, you better watch yourself because I don't want you to embarrass me. She wasn't meaning like you're an embarrassment or anything, but she was saying like don't act up. Be a good representation of what I've taught you. Because as parents, a lot of times when people see kids acting up, you'll be like, do they discipline those kids? Jeez. You know, like, like that's our first thought. Like you're in a restaurant and some kid is having a meltdown. We don't know that that kid is teething and having, like not getting sleep. And we don't know the context of the situation, but we say, man, they just need to take that kid to the back room and just, you know, a little bit of, Right? We don't know the context of why they're crying, but we think we got all the answers as parents, right? And so we have to be careful that we aren't judging the representation of other people, just like we have to be careful of the representation we show to other people. Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6 says this. It says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Least I come and strike this land with a decree of utter destruction. So what does this have to do with spiritual discipline? Well, it's quite simple. Our goal is to return the heart of the father to this earth. That's our goal and to return the heart of his children to the Father. As his representation, we are the, the bridge in the gap saying, hey, like this is the Father that's going to help you with your depression. This is the Father that's going to help you with your anxiety. This is the Father that's going to help you with your worry. This is the Father that's going to help you with all of these things. But in order to be able to, to, to fill that gap, we have to be the proper representation of him. Not just somebody that's like, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Man, in high school, that was one thing that irked me because I took my faith very seriously from a very young age. And I'm, I'm a very serious person. Like, I can be goofy, but all in all, I'm a very serious person when it comes to, comes to life. I weigh things very a lot. I think very deeply about things. And there was this person, and she's like, oh, I'm a Christian, and like just went on this onslaught of bullying people and, and cursing people out and all this stuff. And I'm like, how is that a representation of Christ? Like, I got fed up and stood up in the middle of my physics class, physics class in 11th grade and was like, how is this a representation of Christ? Like, I, I was so mad. I'm like, you are not a representation of Christ. How dare you call yourself saved? Like, I went off. Like, and I was very mad at my, my physics teacher who, like, <laughs> he was just like, okay, so we're going to take Tony outside, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> I, was, I was super worked up. But that's the thing is when we don't properly represent Christ, we name it and claim it and all that other stuff. We want the benefit of his name, but we don't want to walk it out. 
people see that stuff. We're taking his name in vain. That's, that's breaking the commandment. We're taking his name in vain. See, because God is working in us to impart his ways in us so we can be a representation of Christ to the world. See, because as sons and daughters, we understand things that our parents taught us intentionally and unintentionally, right? Like, I've intentionally taught my kids how to brush their teeth. I've intentionally taught my kids how to use a fork and a spoon. I've intentionally taught my kids how to, well, we're still working on tying the shoes, but you, you get my point. I've unintentionally taught my kids how to be angry. Right? Last night, we're hanging out for Brandon's birthday. Peyton comes out, or somebody comes out and was like, Allie hit Peyton. And this is after I had a conversation where, and this is important, just because I gave the proper context, my kid didn't understand it. She didn't have the maturity to understand the context in which I was teaching her something. And that's my bad, all right? But I was teaching her, is like if somebody's bullying you and you've gone to her parents and you've gone to, to me and you, you've like tried to set boundaries and space, if they push you or shove you or hit you three, four, five times, after the fifth time, I'm okay with you balling up your little fist and punching them. <laughs> like, I'm okay with that. That's, that's not for everybody. I get it, but I'm okay with it. Like, I will discipline and be like, hey, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know. But so last night they're playing, and Allie punches Peyton. And then so I go back there, and she's like, but, Dad, you said I could. <laughs> and I'm like, no, not in this context. Like, this is not the, the groundwork we laid out. <laughs> and, she's, and so I learned Allie, I just need to say punch, and she takes the, <laughs> she's, she's good to go, right? For, and, and so that was in, I was trying to intentionally teach her how to stick up for herself, but I unintentionally allowed anger to take over for her, right? And so there's, there's these natural things in us that, if we are not careful, will unintentionally take over for us. Right? I am a justice-centered person. When I see injustice, it, it really irks me. I'm in the middle of a, of a uh, what do they call it, intersection. Sorry, I couldn't think of the word for a second. I'm in the middle of an intersection headed to Alexis's father's birthday dinner on Friday night, and this car starts to get over in the middle of the intersection to try to get in front of me. Tap that gas pedal, sped, sped up so they couldn't get over. I'm like, that's illegal. It's not okay. Like, that, like this is my thought process. You're breaking the law. I'm not going to let you do that. And I sped up, right? And then I kept going. And Alexis goes, why do you treat people that way? And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, that's perfect. Like, in my mind, it's perfectly justifiable because they were going to break the law. So my response was into them breaking the law. But I wasn't showing them the grace or mercy that I might want somebody to show me if I made a mistake and didn't realize I was in the wrong lane. Right? And so these are the intentional and unintentional things we learn in life. And so, so we have to make sure that we are being a proper representation. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21 says it this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, whoever, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for this For our sake he has made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So I want you to close your eyes just for a second. And I want want you to think of the person that has hurt you the most. And if they came to you asking for forgiveness and grace, would you be able to extend it to them? Us extending it to them, you can open your eyes now. Us extending it to them is us being and showing the reconciliation of Christ. It's difficult. It's hard. I'm not saying being an ambassador is easy, but it's our job. See, our job is to be his representation. When we do this, we not only have a momentary impact or a singular impact with a person, but we have generational impact. You have the opportunity to break generational curses that have affected you in your life but don't have to affect your kids. You have the ability to break things that won't affect you or have affected you but don't have to affect your grandkids. You have the ability to walk into somebody else's life and be an ambassador for Christ and the goodness of God take over them in such a way that their kids are free now. That's what being an ambassador is about. It's taking his goodness wherever we go. Jensen Franklin said it this way. Jensen Franklin said it this way. One generation picks up rocks so the next generation can eat corn. One generation picks up rocks so the next generation can eat corn. In the process of sowing and reaping, you prepare a field. And in order to prepare a field, you have to pick up the rocks. You have to cultivate the soil, right? So the generation before me did hard work so I could have blessing. Now I'm doing hard work so my kids can have more blessing. And they'll do hard work so their kids can have more blessing. It's a generational passing. I want to leave the field that God has given me better than I found it so that way my kids don't have to work as hard to give their kids blessings, And that's what we're supposed to do as as an ambassador for Christ. Jesus, even his last words to the disciples in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So, I'm going to get on a soapbox for just a second. You don't have authority. Christ has authority, and Christ has imparted power in you for you to walk out his authority, but you don't have it. Stop thinking just because you say something or you name it and claim it, it's, it's going to happen. It's in Christ's authority. It's only through, Hebrews says it clearly, it's only through his blood sprinkled on your consciousness that we can boldly approach the throne of grace, making prayers and supplications. Maybe your prayers aren't being answered, not because God isn't listening or hearing you, it's because you're approaching him the wrong way. 
Like, this is a, a frustrating thing for me because the church in America today really thinks, like, we're it. We're not. Christ is it. And if we're not pointing people back to him, Jason had a hit on it this week. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Right? We should be imitating him to the best of our ability so when people see all the positive change in us, we can be like, no, 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 dog, it's all about him. It's him. Well, you've done these things. No, 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 Christ did these things through me. It's not my power and authority, it's his, and he's trusting me as an ambassador to walk in it. That, there's a difference in thought process there. So what are the ways we need to walk in? So what are the spiritual disciplines? The, the three key spiritual disciplines that I think you need to walk in are understanding the scriptures, praying, and worship. If you have those three, fasting is easier. Discernment is easier. Solitude is easier, right? Because all three of those things have a foundation, or all of those things have a foundation of understanding the scriptures, prayer, and worship. You can't do those things without these three. So I believe that these key elements directly impact the rest of the rest of the disciplines these are the steps we should be applying in our daily lives but it can be difficult because of personal culture see because that's the thing is when we move into the kingdom we're laying down our culture and picking up his culture but we have to ask the question what is culture what well, culture is defined as the customs arts social institutions and achievements of a particular nation people or social group and I'm a, I am a big believer that everything rises and falls on culture. For example, the culture that Pop and Giggy set in their house has played a huge impact on the culture that we have today in Freedom Church. And that's the generational impact that being a proper ambassador for Christ can have. Right? And so in order for us to be the best representation of Christ, we must realize that his calling, that he is calling us to a place where our culture meets his culture. There's two cultures colliding, and his has to win out. His has to win out. Because if yours wins out, I hate to say it, but you're going to the, get to that place where he's going to say, depart from me, for you never knew me. His culture has to win out. See, but that's not easy for us to do, just like it's not easy, right? I'm in baby mode. I'm thinking of babies, baby stuff all the time, you know? And, like, I'm thinking about the fact that I'm going to have to, like, change diapers again and, like, put onesies on. That was my least favorite part, putting the lotion on the skin and, like, putting them in the onesies. Oh, my gosh, it used to make me so angry, right? <laughs> like, I'll get so mad, like, irrationally mad. <laughs> just, just, and put it on, right? Like, <laughs> and... <laughs> and, and then um, one of the things that is hard for, for kids to, to get to a point is when you start putting socks on the baby's feet, what's the first thing they do? They, put the, they kick, they bring their foot up, and they pull the sock off, and they throw the sock. And like, how do you know how to throw? Like, they, they just, <clears throat> and just move, the, right? And then if you're in the car, the sock, one's in the back of the car, one's under the car seat somehow, like, right? It, yes. <laughs> it was Allie. And so it's, 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 not, it's not easy to conform to things that, that feel foreign to us, right? And Craig, Craig Rochelle says it this way, culture is a mix of what you allow and what you define. It's a mixture of the two. So in your home culture, 
What have you allowed versus what have you defined? Have you defined what discipline is? Have you defined as a family what your health goals are? Have you defined what your core values are, what we're going to say we value people or we value time? Because there's some families that's like, yeah, you guys go out to lunch. We want to have family time. And that's perfectly okay. But what what have you defined? See, because your culture is either proactive or reactive. The reason why some of us aren't further along in our relationship with Christ is it's been reactive since day one. The only time you get in the scriptures is when you feel distant from him. When everything's good and you're making money and everything's, your boss is treating you right and the car's running fine and all this stuff, you're good. You're not in the scriptures. You're like, oh, I'm good. I've, I've paid my dues. Like, am I wrong? See, but proactive culture is predefined understanding of how you solve problems, a long-term budget plan, parenting strategies, health standards for your family. That's a proactive culture. You've predefined what you're going to do. A reactive culture is you solve today's problems with no regard for the consequences tomorrow. I've got to pay this bill. So you pay the bill not thinking about the fact that you haven't bought groceries yet. Or I want this electronic. So you buy the electronic not thinking about the fact that you haven't paid the bill and you need groceries. Right? When money comes in, it goes out with no regard for anything in the future. Paycheck to paycheck is a reactive culture. You don't have to be paycheck to paycheck, but you, you are going to have to do a months of hard work to get in front of everything so you're not paycheck to paycheck. Like that month is going to be tough. You're going to get down to your last can of beans and rice and you're going to be like, oh my gosh, I'm tired of eating this. And you're going to be like, but there's hope because tomorrow we're going to have the money we need. Or inconsistent parenting tactics. You threaten your kids five, six, seven times and they still go on and do what they want. Well, it's because they know that your threat is empty. I can do what I want. Like, that, that's just, it's, I'm not trying to be mean, but that's the fact of the situation. If you went into work and your boss is like, don't you do that again, or you're fired, and then you did it, and he didn't fire you, what would you think? Oh, he doesn't care. I can do what I want. There's no weight behind the threat. Or, let's talk about health for a second. You eat to satisfy a desire. Because you got upset at work, and so you're emotional, so you go to Taco Bell and get, you know, Taco Bell, and you're eating crappy food to satisfy a desire. You go to Sonic and get a Reese's Blast or whatever. Like, Reese's Blast is my favorite. That's why I go right there. But, um, or you don't go work out even though you want to because of the, the craziness of life. Like, the thing for me is, and this has been an excuse for me for like six months now, is if I want to go work out, I have to get up at 3.30 in the morning. And that's hard for me. Appreciate you. (laughs) And so here's three questions to help you determine your culture, all right? Three questions. Do I slash we, as in you and your spouse, take time to plan for upcoming events, budgets, issues, Do you have a tire budget so if you blow a tire, you have money to replace it? Do you have a car maintenance budget so you can routinely change your oil so you don't have mechanical failures in the future? 
right? Like, these are practical things. But if you don't have that and you're paying paycheck to paycheck and one problem to the other, you're going to stay in the cycle of poverty and you don't have to. Number two, do you stick to the plan? All right, we're going to budget $800 a month for vehicle stuff. Here's the $800 a month for vehicle stuff. Like, because that's an important part of the process is I'm going to stick to the plan. Number three, if the plan doesn't work, do I reassess? Okay, why didn't I save the money? Well, because this thing popped up. Okay, that means I need to have a budget line item for this and start saving a little bit of money every, every time I get paid. So how do we apply those three key elements? So the three key elements, it's, right, it's the scripture reading, it's the prayer, it's the worship. How do we apply these? Now, now that we know like we have to conform our culture to his culture, how do we apply that? Well, we have to determine your cornerstone habit because you're not going to be able to change your habits without doing something that's a trigger for the rest of your habits to fall into place. Because the book Atomic Habits, there's a book called The Power of Habit, and they talk about these cornerstone things that trigger your habits to, to go. Because from a, from a scientific standpoint, you have neuron pathways that automatically fire off that, start, that get your habits going. And so the only way to break the cycle of your neuron pathways is to change the cornerstone habit because that's why you're like in a situation, you're like, how did I end up with McDonald's in my driveway? Like, right? You're like, it's, it's just like it was habit. You, you just went through, like, you're like, oh, I'm hungry. Let me just swing in here. And, and the next thing you know, you get, you're a quarter pounder and fries down, and you're like, what the heck happened? Right? Or, or, like, it's a sin issue. We'll go a little bit deeper. Man, I, I, why? There's no reason for me to lie when I was asked this question. Why did I lie? Because you have a neuron pathway that's set up in you that says it's okay to lie whenever you're under pressure. You felt pressure, so you said something that you thought they wanted to hear that wasn't the truth. So how do we break that? Defining the cornerstone habit. And so the cornerstone habit is simple. It's, it starts the, the, it's like the linchpin to your daily success. Um, in the book, The Power of Habit, the author writes, the golden rule of habit change is you can't extinguish a bad habit. You can only change it. You can only change a bad habit. So we can't extinguish the habits that we've, we've created, but we can leverage them for, for, be, for the better to change the outcome. He continues on saying by saying the process within our brains is a three-step loop. First, there's a cue. It's a trigger, right? I'm hungry, right? That's the trigger. I'm hungry. It tells your brain to go into automatic mode in which the habit is used. And so if you don't have something that's predefined, if you're not prepping food, if you're trying to be healthy, you go, I'm hungry, and you go, let me search for food, and you're going to go to the easiest thing. So you're going to get Taco Bell, and then you keep this continual loop un of unhealthiness in your life. When the, the thing that should shift is I'm going to prep food so I can take it to work with me, and then I'll be healthy because these are my only options. My budget is restrictive. This is my food option. Whether I like the chicken and broccoli or not, this is what I got. Right? There is a routine which can help the physical or mental or emotional process. Finally, there's a reward which helps you, your brain figure out that if this particular loop is worth remembering for the future. So whatever your reward is, that helps your brain understand, oh, I need to do this more often. 
And so for me, I really like playing video games to decompress. I do. I grew up with video games. I like playing Call of Duty. Like the, I, it just it is what it is. And so for me, if I want to play video games, the standard I'm setting in my life is I have to go to the gym. I don't get the reward if I don't go to the gym. Right? And so I'm just shifting when I get the thing that helps me decompress based upon a trigger. And so I'm shifting the neuron pathways in my head. Okay, if I go to the gym in the morning, I get to play video games when I get home at night. Easy. Just shifting one th- where, where one thing falls, and it's going to help me get healthy. And so this brings us to the question of the day. How do we reapply? Well, there's a simple story that kind of goes along with this from the power of habit. And it, we all know Febreze, right? The Febreze spray. Well, when they were first marketing this, they could get no one to buy it. But there was this one lady in Scottsdale, Arizona, that was buying all of the Febreze that the store had. And so they asked if they could put video cameras in her house to watch her and how she used the Febreze. And they were marketing it as something that before they cleaned, you would spray. But we all know Febreze markets it now that once you're done cleaning, you spray it. And that's the the sign that everything is clean. Well, they got that from this lady. They saw her (coughs) clean her house fluff the pillows, do the little karate chop in the middle of the pillow so it looks nice, right? And then she, f- she sprayed the Febreze and would go, <sighs> and then she would relax. So the Febreze was the reward for cleaning the house. And now how did they market it? You know, do you guys remember the commercials where they would sit down and the house was disgusting around them and they were blindfolded and they would spray the Febreze and be like, man, it smells so good in here. Then they would take the blindfold off and be like, oh, God, like, you know, like and so it's it's a mental it, it just shows it is a mental understanding. And so determine your cornerstone habit. So when you get into these three steps, maybe your cornerstone habit is you set the coffee pot every night. So when the coffee starts pouring, your brain goes, hey, it's time to read the Bible. Associate coffee with the word, right? And so number one is reading the word. And the key is to start small. You don't want to be like, all right, I'm going to read the Bible in 90 days. Because that's 16 chapters a day, give or take. Do you have time to read 16 chapters a day? Maybe listen to it, but definitely not. Like sit down and intentionally read it. So start small. Don't feel like you have to read 5, 10, 15 chapters a day to be in touch with God. You're not reading the scriptures to get in touch with him or feel him. You're reading the scriptures to understand him. There's a difference. Stop approaching God with this this concept and this thought process that you have to get something from him. You don't have to get anything from him. If anything, you're trying to match your ways to his ways. You're trying to become more like him. You don't need him to do anything for you. So start by reading a verse or chapter a day. Remember, one verse applied is better than a book read and wasted. One verse applied in your life. And so the key question as you read the scriptures is, how am I going to apply this? So there's a couple practical things you can do in order for the application. There's the SOAP method. The SOAP method is quite simple. SOAP stands for scripture, observation, application, prayer. So you write down the scripture. Then as you read the scripture, you write down the observation. And then as you write down your observation, you determine an application for that observation. And then you write down a prayer that helps you apply that. Right? Every day. Real simple. 
You could do a proverb a day where you read a proverb a day and say, okay, God, you've shown me wisdom. Now help me apply this today. And sure enough, I guarantee you, you're going to run into a situation where you're like, oh, there's the wisdom. Or you can do one proverb and one psalm and one New Testament. So you have the proverb where you apply wisdom, the psalm where you apply worship, and the New Testament where you apply holy living. But either way, the question should always be, how am I applying this today? Your scripture time should not be something to check off a box on your to-do list. It should be, how am I applying God's ways to my life? But in order to apply, you have to understand. And so one thing that's helped me understand the scriptures is reading commentaries, listening to podcasts, YouTubing teachings on how to study the Bible. And they all, all the teachings do say the same thing, is the Bible can seem daunting, but it's not, it's not when you answer the five questions of context. Because all the, all the methods start with context. You have to understand the context in order to apply the scriptures. And so these are the questions. Who is this to? What are they talking about? When were they talking about it? Where were they when they were talking about it? And why are they talking about it? These are the five questions of context. Who, what, when, where, why, how? Well, not how, because we know how is a letter. But who, what, when, where, why? These qu questions help you determine the context because context is everything when it comes to understanding the scriptures. You want to understand the context so you can break things down into what's called the principal bridge. Because what the principal bridge, what the principal bridge does is it looks at the past, it looks at the present, and it shows you the principle that applies to both. And so when you're in the scriptures and you're reading, you're, you're trying to get to the principal bridge because that's the application point for you, right? And so then where we shift this into application is I, I refer to this as the power of armor, armoring up with the scriptures. So your, your challenge for the scriptures for the next 30 days, I'm calling it the armor up challenge, right? And so what do you do? You read the scriptures, then you put on the armor of God as you're getting ready. So you quote it. You say, I'm putting on the breastplate of righteousness to protect my heart because righteousness takes place in my heart. I'm putting on the helmet of salvation because I'm going to choose to defend my salvation today and I'm going to walk out my salvation today. I'm putting on the shoes of peace for those who spread the gospel so that wherever, everywhere I go, I spread your gospel and I walk in your peace. I'm putting on the sword of truth so that way when the enemy comes at me, I can combat the lies and the attacks with your, your truth. I'm putting on the shield of faith so I can storm into enemy territory with faith being first, knowing that you're going to protect me and keep me safe, Lord. And then you stock up on ammo. You write down one or two scriptures that throughout the day as the enemy comes dangling temptation in your, your eyes, dangling temptation in your spirit, James 4, 7, therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Well, how do you submit to God? By understanding his ways. How do you resist the devil? By quoting the scriptures to him, because that's exactly what, what Jesus did in Matthew chapter 4 and chapter 5. He refuted him with the scriptures, and Jesus was tempted with his flesh, because he was hungry. He was tempted with his spirit, because Satan was saying, if you're really God, then do this thing, right? And then he was tempted with his purpose. Do you think Satan's not going to tempt you with your purpose? He's going to give you an opportunity to have an easy way out on the thing that God called you to do. 
Because Satan offered Jesus, he said, if you bow to me, all these kingdoms you see will be yours. That was already the promise and purpose of who Jesus was supposed to be. But one was bowing to Satan, the other one was submitting to God and dying on a cross. And the thing is, is we sometimes we're in a position where we would rather bow to Satan because it feels better than dying on a cross. Don't give up your purpose. Stock up on the ammo so you can fight him. So that way, as you're faced with the temptation, you can fight the enemy with it. But in order to fight the enemy, you have to understand truth. And the truth of the scriptures reigns supreme. So now we're on to number two, prayer. Prayers are direct link to God to make a request known and to communicate with the Father. These are, there are all sorts of examples that show us the power of prayer. Elijah with the fire and the rain, Daniel's fast, Lord's prayer, Jesus' many prayers for healing. But one of the things we find throughout all of these prayers is that whatever happened based on the prayer was a byproduct of the prayer's focus being on the glory of God moving forward. If your prayer is focused on your well-being and expectation instead of the kingdom moving forward, I don't, I don't know if that is going to be something that is on the top of the priority list. See, because James says it this way, you have, you have not because you ask not, and when you ask, you ask amiss. Is it possible that somewhere within the culture of the church, we stopped approaching God with the reverence of his glory being fulfilled and started approaching through the demand of expectation? Do you demand things from God? Whenever you need money and so you go to God in prayer for money, but it was your foolishness with money that led to the situation you're in? Prayer should accomplish one thing, God's will. So when we pray, we should pray for alignment with that will, that others would see that will, and that we would be ambassadors for that will. That is what prayer should do. It should accomplish God's will. So much so that Jesus teaches us to pray this way. Our Father who is in heaven, how holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from, from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So we're going to break that down real quick. Jesus teaches us, first and foremost, to recognize the power and position of God. Understand that his kingdom is the dominant force and we need it here. That all provision comes from him, not our works. Stop thinking your job is your provider. It's not. It's the opportunity that God has given you for provision. There's a difference. We're simply managing the opportunity that he gave us. Forgive us as we have forgiven people. Jesus directly says after he teaches the Lord prayer that as much forgiveness as you pour out for people, God will pour out for you. Are you forgiving people the way you want to be forgiven by God? Oftentimes as you pray that prayer of God, forgive me as I forgive others, this prayer will illuminate in you the need to forgive somebody. And it's not, you, a lot of times in, in the hyper-spiritualism of Christianity, we'll be like, oh, that's just Satan try to, trying to distract us. No, it's the Holy Spirit trying to work on you. It's the Holy Spirit trying to show you, hey, you need to go to this person and, and make it right. And then he tells us to ask for protection and, and helps us realize that everything is his anyways and you want to be a part of his plan. And so here's your 30-day prayer challenge. 
Do these three things for 30 days when you pray. Number one, put God in his rightful place in your life. Don't approach him flippantly. Approach him with awe and reverence. Number two, understand that you are here to be his kingdom on earth. You're here to be his representation, so act like it. Number three, forgive and ask for forgiveness and ask for foresight. Forgive people, ask for forgiveness, and then ask for foresight so that way as the enemy plans on tempting you, you would see it a ways off and you would know that God is in control and God's power is in you and you would not walk in those things. I forgive, insert name here, and help me to continue to walk out the forgiveness and allow me to see the attacks of the enemy as they come from a long distance off so that I can be aptly prepared. It's okay to say that. God, prepare me for temptation. Prepare me so I don't fall to it. And then point number three is worship. So to end this trifecta is worship because oftentimes the understanding of truth and the application of speaking and prayer, it will naturally deepen your understanding of his goodness. <coughs> because you can't, you can't worship God if you don't understand him. You can't worship him if you don't understand him. You have to understand his goodness. Worship is not the time to pray about your problems. It's the time to magnify our father, priest, and king. Stop getting distracted with feeling bad about what you've done that you waste your time when you could be worshiping. You waste it by groveling. Because that's, that, that's coming out of condemnation. Conviction will always educate you on where you need more of him. But condemnation will always separate you from him. See, worship is very simple. Take five minutes per day to simply close your eyes and meditate on the goodness of God. You're simply taking the time to express your love of God. It's time to focus on the intimate portion of your relationship with him. You're going over the highlight reel of who he's proven himself to be. You're going over the highlight reel. These are all of the, the good things that God has done. And it doesn't matter how old. There are things that as a, I'm you know, turning 30 this year, and there are things that from when I was 6, 7, and 8 that I still thank God for. The night my father died, I remember having the most tangible, real encounter with him as I felt it was like Jesus wrapped me in his arms and simply said, I'm here, son, I'm here. And I thank God for that today because that moment has gotten me through so many tough times where I didn't feel him and I didn't think he was there, but I said, God, you were there then. I know you're here now. Thank you for providing for me. Thank you for taking care of me. Because the battle that's in front of you is never bigger than the battle that God has already won for you. And so you can always look at that battle and say, God, you're good. The scriptures actually say that he has made us priests and kings lifted high in the heavens with him. And so we don't have to look up at the battle. We're looking down on it because the enemy is his footstool. Understand the perspective that God wants you to have. He's defeated it all for you. We don't fight for victory. We fight from it. So let's worship him like it. Saying, God, thank you for winning the battles for me. Thank you for making it true. Thank you for doing this for me. God, you're good and you're holy and you're merciful. 
And so I want to close today by having everybody stand up. See, because the key here, in order to fully worship, you have to have experienced him. And the beautiful thing about the first two steps is it gives you a pathway to understand his ways. To pray for vision, to see them walked out, and to see how God enforced his promises and truth. These things help you give give you the ammunition to celebrate and praise God for all the things he's done. Because our celebration over small revelation make the pathways for deep revelations of who he is. So don't think you have to have some crazy John book of revelation type experience of who he is. Just say, God, thank you for letting me breathe today. Thank you for letting me be here and love my family today. Thank you for letting me come to church and worship you with my friends and family. It's a simple love for him that goes so far. And so if everybody could bow their heads, if you feel that you need to reapply the disciplines of worship, the disciplines of reading the scripture, and the disciplines of praying, and you want the Holy Spirit to strengthen you and help you with these things. If you could just raise your hand. Alright, thank you. So we're going to pray. Dearly Father, Lord, right now, Lord, first and foremost, we thank you, God. We thank you for being our Father. We thank you for being the one that is all-powerful and all-knowing. We thank you, Lord, for having all power and authority and we pray Father that you would infill us with your Holy Spirit and give us the ability to walk out discipline in your scriptures in times of prayer and in times of worship that we would draw closer to you and be changed by you forever in Jesus name at Freedom we want to help you have authentic relationships with God and his people to have real experiences with the Holy Spirit and to find lasting freedom If the Holy Spirit speaks to you through this message, or if you want to make a decision for Jesus, please reach out at freedomdl.com slash connect. For more info on freedom, including service times and location, visit freedomdl.com. Thanks for listening.